This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Thursday, March 11th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. It was written off as a forgery in 1883, but now it's being reconsidered as the oldest known biblical manuscript. How the pandemic has affected the names people are choosing for their babies, and how a lake in Turkey may hold the key to finding signs of ancient life on Mars. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. So, close to a century and a half ago, a man named Moses Wilhelm Shapira found 15 manuscript fragments in a cave near the Dead Sea. They were written in an ancient Hebrew script and contained what Shapira claimed was the original Book of Deuteronomy. But despite interest from the British Museum to the tune of a million pounds, the manuscripts were found to be forged. Shapira was disgraced and the documents disappeared. But now, a scholar named Idan Dershowitz is questioning if those documents might have been real all along. So while the British Museum was examining the manuscript fragments for authenticity themselves back in the 19th century, a few of the fragments were also on display to the public, already attracting tons of visitors. The news of the possibly oldest ever discovered biblical manuscript had made headlines around the world. While awaiting the museum's official decree of authenticity, someone else decided to take matters into their own hands. Charles Simon Clermont Genot, who The Times describes as a swashbuckling French archaeologist and longtime nemesis of Shapira's, end quote, examined the fragments for a few minutes and immediately went to the press to say that they were fake. The risk he played on his cursory examination paid off when the British Museum experts agreed. Shapira was humiliated by this and ended up tragically dying by suicide a few months later. The documents were sold at auction for a fraction of what they were originally expected to sell for, and most people soon forgot about the whole thing. Now, Dershowitz from the University of Potsdam in Germany has published a new paper and companion book making the case that the manuscript was real all along. Quoting the New York Times, But Dershowitz makes an even more dramatic claim. The text, which he has reconstructed from 19th century transcriptions and drawings, is not a reworking of Deuteronomy, he argues, but a precursor to it, dating to the period of the First Temple, before the Babylonian exile. That would make it the oldest known biblical manuscript by far, and an unprecedented window into the origins and evolution of the Bible and biblical religion. Dershowitz's research, closely guarded until now, has yet to get broad scrutiny. Scholars who previewed his findings at a closed-door seminar at Harvard in 2019 are divided, a taste of fierce debates likely to come. But if Dershowitz is correct, some experts say it will be the most consequential Bible-related discovery since the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947. End quote. Now, the Times sagely points out that it's much tougher to prove something is authentic than it is to prove it's fake. But there's an additional hurdle to be jumped in this case. The physical fragments themselves may no longer exist. 
So back in 1883, there was a mad rush at the time to find biblical artifacts that would prove or disprove various points of contention emerging in biblical scholarship, mostly around the documentary hypothesis, the idea that the first five books of the Bible or the Pentateuch were actually written by various authors, not just one, traditionally thought to be Moses. It was in this fraught climate of aggressive archaeology that Shapira first established himself as an antiquities dealer in Jerusalem, and during which time he and Clermont Genot became enemies, after Clermont Genot correctly denounced a collection of pottery that Shapira had sold to the German government. It's also important to note that Shapira was a convert to Christianity, having been raised Jewish in Russia, so he was viewed with some skepticism from the other biblical scholars and archaeologists, and also faced intense anti-Semitism after the Deuteronomy manuscript was denounced. Fast forward again to now. Dershowitz says one of the main reasons he thinks the fragments could have been real is because their contents differs quite a bit from the Deuteronomy in the Bible. And many of those differences line up with discoveries that were only made when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in 1947, 64 years after Shapira's discovery of the fragments. Dershowitz also investigated some of Shapira's personal notes archived at the Berlin State Library and found three handwritten pages of Shapira trying to decipher the fragments, filled with question marks and transcription errors. Dershowitz said, quote, If he forged them or was part of a conspiracy, it makes no sense that he'd be sitting there trying to guess what the text is and making mistakes while he did it. End quote. While some scholars of the evolution of biblical text are on Dershowitz's side cautiously believing the Deuteronomy fragments may be genuine, most epigraphers, people who study inscriptions and are the ones that usually authenticate documents, most of them aren't convinced. They say the original fragments bear the hallmarks of modern forgery, that they agree with the notes made by the experts who examined them at the time, and since no one has the fragments to examine physically now, it's a closed case. And as for the content being prescient, Christopher Ralston, a leading epigrapher at George Washington University, said, quote, Forgers are pretty clever with regard to content, and they've been very clever for 2,500 years. End quote. Despite Dershowitz's published paper and companion book, the jury is still out, and who knows if it will ever truly be borne out. It would have some pretty huge complications if it does due to some of its key differences. For example, it's missing all of the laws of the Deuteronomy we're familiar with in the Bible, ones upon which traditions and entire libraries have been founded. It would also bolster the theory that there are tons more stories and traditions out there than just the ones that have been preserved in the Hebrew Bible. It seems almost like too huge and far-fetched of a revelation to be true— but while cynicism is good in cases like this, one epigrapher, Michael Langlois, points out that people were originally skeptical of the Dead Sea Scrolls, too. Quote, Can you imagine what would have happened if no one had the guts to consider them authentic? We wouldn't even have the Dead Sea Scrolls today. End quote. And if you want to dive deeper into the surprisingly high-stakes world of rare documents and the idea of what makes a document genuine, I just finished watching the new Netflix docuseries Murder Among the Mormons. As the title suggests, it's a bit dark, definitely a true crime doc, but if that's your kind of thing, it's a pretty good one, especially if you've never heard of Mark Hoffman. It's executive produced by Joe Berlinger, one of my favorite documentarians. If you try it out, definitely stick all the way to the end. The last episode was kind of mind-blowing. Link to the trailer in the show notes. 
While writing today's show, I've gotten close to a dozen push notifications from various news outlets riffing on some version of, it's been a year, here's how the pandemic has changed us. I go back and forth on my willingness to engage with that kind of content, and in acknowledgement that you probably do too, and in an effort to keep such reflections fairly light, I wanted to share one of the more unique takes I've found this week, how the pandemic has influenced baby names. So despite all the writing about a baby bust coming, with the New York Times saying there will probably be 300,000 fewer births than usual in the U.S. this year, people are still having babies, and with so many folks stuck at home instead of attending community and recreational events in person, expectant parents are posting in online communities even more than usual which gave Refinery29 and baby name site Nameberry ample opportunity to analyze how some trends have changed this year, even though official data from the Social Security Administration has not been updated yet for 2020. The biggest trend change seems to be towards nature-themed or adjacently travel-themed names. Lots of aspirational thinking, lots of wanting to be free out in the elements, and lots of, well, cottagecore. Nameberry's top name lists for 2021 feature names like Luna, Juniper, and Atlas. Quoting Refinery29, These names share a natural and romantic aesthetic that represents many people's pandemic-era yearning for escape and simplicity, says Pamela Redmond, the CEO and co-founder of Nameberry. Nature names like Lily and Rose have been around for ages, but many new ones are emerging and becoming increasingly used and discussed, Redmond added. I think it reflects a wish on the part of the parents to be more rooted in nature, to relate to the earth, Redmond told Refinery29. Not everyone can afford to leave their small apartment and buy a bucolic country estate or a suburban mansion with a pool on which to frolic with their family, but baby naming is inherently aspirational, and nature names can represent a longing to experience more of the world, which is particularly pronounced right now when many of our options and ability to move around is limited. Lounging is also a big part of the cottagecore subculture and aesthetic, which Redmond says has heavily influenced baby naming in the past year, and is closely related to the back-to-nature trend. Nature-inspired names like River and Wilder, both frequently discussed on baby names, are cottagecore names, according to Nameberry, as are names like Maisie and Jane, which have a vintage sound. The cottagecore aesthetic is about a down-to-earth, simple, less sophisticated, less edgy feel. Because the world is edgy enough, babies don't need to be edgy, Redmond said, end quote. And if you're wondering what cottagecore is, or you keep hearing it, but you're not entirely positive what it means, here is how Refinery29 describes it, quote, Cottagecore is all about craving a more peaceful, pastoral way of life. It's the aesthetic where quarantine is romantic instead of terrifying, full of meadows, teacups, and Taylor Swift's folklore, Rebecca Jennings wrote on Vox. But the difference between cottagecore and other nostalgia-based subcultures is that, despite its reverence for stories about and images of heterosexual white people, it's become nearly synonymous with queer people and progressive politics, she added. In the cottagecore baby name trend, this can translate to parents choosing names that are not overtly or traditionally gendered, such as Wilder for a girl. No matter how one feels about these specific names as a trend, cottagecore has an interesting duality in that it simultaneously has people craving nostalgic simplicity and pushing boundaries." End quote. 
And if you want to hear even more about Cottagecore, I thought NPR's 1A episode about it was pretty good. I'll link to that in the show notes. But back to baby names. Beyond nature and Cottagecore, trends are also pointing towards mythology, magic, the supernatural, and the biblical. Biblical because people tend to turn to faith in hard times, so names like Elijah, Lilith, Gabriel, Esther, and Naomi are coming back in style. And there are a lot of names with positive meanings that are trending upwards, like Zora, which means dawn, and Alma, which means soul. These aspirational names show that, quoting again from Refinery29, the hope for a new, better way of life after the pandemic is strong. So is the desire to overcome the seemingly insurmountable challenges of the current world. End quote. There may be a desire, consciously or not, Redmond says, to arm your child with a supernaturally strong name against a world that seems increasingly rife with superhuman challenges. And while that's coming in the form of trending names like Aurora, Freya, and Orion, the name Lucifer is also on trend. It's currently number 126 on Nameberry's top name list for boys, one ahead of my own brother's name, Austin. So, I guess we'll be seeing a bunch of pint-sized Lucifers hitting the playgrounds in a few years. So, as Perseverance continues its exploration of Mars looking for signs of ancient life, NASA is bolstering that search using data they collected on a mission here on Earth, specifically in Lake Salda in Turkey. Quoting Reuters, NASA says the minerals and rock deposits at Salda are the nearest match on Earth to those around the Jezero Crater, where the spacecraft landed and which is believed to have once been flooded with water. Information gathered from Lake Salda may help the scientists as they search for fossilized traces of microbial life preserved in sediment thought to have been deposited around the delta and the long-vanished lake it once fed. Scientists believe that the sediments around the lake eroded from large mounds that are formed with the help of microbes and are known as microbialites, end quote. NASA scientists are hoping to discover whether there are any microbialites in Jezero Crater. They'll also be comparing carbonate minerals already found around Jezero Crater to sediment from Salda. Thomas Zerbuchen, NASA Associate Administrator for Science, told Reuters, quote, when we find something at Perseverance, we can go back to look at Lake Selda to really look at both processes, looking at similarities, but equally importantly, differences. So we're really glad to have that lake, just because I think it will be with us for a long time. End quote. This isn't the first time Lake Selda has garnered attention for its unique physical properties. Some people flock there because its waters, which contain hydromagnesite minerals, have long been believed to cure various skin conditions. It's also been studied because it's one of the few places where ancient stromatolite algae still grows. Fortunately, since Lake Salda is such a unique place with so much we can learn from it, the Turkish Environmental Agency is in the process of granting it national park protection. And soon enough, we may know what Lake Salda is able to teach us about ancient life on Mars. So back in September, I told you about an upcoming documentary called The Last Blockbuster. It follows the story of the last remaining blockbuster video store in Bend, Oregon, which is still active, as well as the larger tale of how Blockbuster met its demise. 
It has interviews with folks like Kevin Smith, Adam Brody, and even the former CFO of Blockbuster. When I told you about it back in the fall, I said it would be released on demand in December, but not on any major streaming site. Well, the film has finally bagged a distribution deal, and this Monday, March 15th, it will officially be debuting on Netflix. That's right, the documentary about how Netflix killed Blockbuster is going to be streaming on Netflix. As journalist and screenwriter Alana Bennett said on Twitter, quote, Is this like their, if I did it, or, end quote. The filmmakers said on Facebook, quote, A lot of people know that Blockbuster had the chance to buy Netflix early on, and they passed on the opportunity. In an ironic twist of fate, our movie, The Last Blockbuster, is coming to Netflix one week from today. We are beyond excited for people get to see this tribute to the era of home video on the world's largest streaming service. Just don't forget to rewind it when you're done watching it, and bring it back by noon on Wednesday. End quote. I will definitely be watching, can't wait to see it, but that is it from me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day, and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry, with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.